Welcome. This is the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast with host Rob Giannino, where we have great conversation with really awesome experts from within the fly fishing community. You see, the fly fishing lifestyle is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. Check out flyfishingjourneys.com for more podcasts, and please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Here's your host, Rob Giannino. Before we jump into this episode, I want to thank Douglas Outdoors for sponsoring this podcast and our cross-country fly fishing road trip. When they heard my son Tyler and I were driving across country to fish for golden trout and other species, they set us up with a quiver of rods. Not only that, but they also upgraded our traveling wheels to their beautiful Douglas fly fishing van. I liked their rods so much I ended up buying three of them. The upstream six-piece three-weight was absolutely gorgeous to cast and a blast to fish. It's the perfect rod to hike into the backcountry and, in our case, horseback into the golden trout wilderness. You can find all the details on their rods at douglasoutdoors.com. Speaking of golden trout, I had been dreaming of catching a golden trout for the past 20 years. Back in the day, my good buddy Mircha Gruya and I headed into the high Sierras out of Bishop, California in search of golden trout. We were told we needed to take a beer can to store our food as we were heading into beer country. Not beer like Budweiser, but a metal canister that you pack in to store your food and keep the bears out. Well, Mircha thinks the beer cans are too heavy to hike in and said we'll just hang our food and be fine. So we're about halfway into a full day hike, already have done the major uphill portions, when we hit a big field and see a big brown bear. Mircha had told me a thousand times, if we see a bear, don't run. Well, what's the first thing I do when I see the bear? run he's like don't run you idiot so i stopped and we see a bluff so like a couple of knuckleheads we climbed up the bluff and put ourselves in plain sight of a ranger coming down the trail he stops us asks us where our bear can is and when we can't produce one proceeds to turn us around to head back down the mountain yay we regrouped back at the trailhead and decided to head into the baboon lakes where you don't need a bear can We had an absolutely amazing week in the backcountry catching tons of trout, but no goldens. Fast forward 20 years, I meet Steve Day of Golden Trout Pack Trains at the Pleasanton, California Fly Fishing Show. He said he leads pack and mule train trips into the Golden Trout Wilderness in the Sequoia National Forest in California. I did a double take and said, excuse me, come again? He explained how you pack in by horse with a pack of mules and set up base camp along the Kern River 20 miles in. How you can dry fly fish for big rainbows in clear water up and down the river right from base camp. How you're a short horseback ride up the mountain to the Mecca in the original strain of golden trout in Volcano Creek in Golden Trout Creek. I could hardly stand it and couldn't believe what I was hearing and we proceeded to make plans. The trip did not disappoint. The horses and pack train trip was an amazing experience. The luxury camping right on the Kern River was a complete bonus as my mind was so fixed on golden trout that I didn't even have expectations for this part of the trip. But wow, it was amazing. Clearly heading up to Volcano Creek and Golden Trout Creek and seeing and yes, finally catching my first golden was a magical moment and a highlight not only of this trip, but my fly fishing experiences. Stay tuned because we're about to hear from the Wrangler Angler himself, Steve Day, and a couple of his amazing horse packers and trip leaders, 
Savannah Summers, and Marius Stucer. Have you downloaded the Fly Fishing Journeys app? You can find it on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Just search Fly Fishing Journeys. Thanks for listening. I love hearing all the comments about people digging into the podcast and diving into the catalog and listening all the way through. That's so cool. Thank you. I want to thank our sponsors, Norvice, Bissell Insurance, and The Fly Fishing Show. We couldn't do what we do without them, so thanks for supporting these fine companies. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Rob Giannino. We are coming to you from the heart of the Sierra Nevada mountains. We're on the west side at the Golden Trout Wilderness Pack Station. I'm joined by Stephen Day, owner and horse packer, also known as the Wrangler Angler. (laughs) Savannah Summers, who's a Wrangler and a horse packer and also loves to fly fish. Mm -hmm. And Mari Suser, who's a wrangler and a packer. Mari, thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for all of you guys being on our podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. So we are just getting out of a full five days in the wilderness of the Golden Trout Wilderness. And it was an amazing experience. Guys, thank you for taking us up there. It was awesome. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. We really had a good time with you guys. I appreciate that. And as you guys know, I've had a 20-year hunt for the golden trout. The last time I was up in the Sierra Nevadas, we got we got turned around by a forest ranger because we didn't have a bear can. You have to hang your food. Mm. And uh, we were on the eastern side, up around Bishop. And ever since then, I was dreaming of the golden trout because... That was our purpose of that trip. And uh, Steve, you and I met at the Pleasanton Fly Fishing Show, and you told me that you had this pack station in the Golden Trout Wilderness. And I said, huh, what? Come back? I need to know all about this. (laughs) So first of all, for our listeners, Steve, uh, who don't know what a pack station is, why don't we start there? What is a pack station? Okay. um, A pack station is a is a place where people come and it's in the it's in the forest people come up and um, nowadays they come up to do hunting fishing trips you know camping trips in the wilderness they first started off you know over 100 years ago in the sierras they were using them for trail crews and stuff like that the the, the mule trains were were the main the main tool for the, to supply these people that were starting to get the sierras trails built and um you know just everything working and the pioneers were coming in right. and they were doing a lot of logging and stuff like that so the pack station started out being that and then it turned into more of a recreational okay deal so we were talking even last night that you know to move large supplies through the wilderness even back in the day it was by wagon when we kind of developed this country west a lot of people moved the pioneers moved west through wagon Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then when they got to the mountains, those wagons weren't feasible, you know, to get supplies over the the Rockies and the Sierras. They're just too rugged. And so then that's when the the pioneers started learning how to pack mules, pack horses, and get supplies over the mountains that way. Yeah. So you're a a horse packer, a mule packer. Yes, sir. And how long have you been here at this location, the, the Golden Trout Wilderness Pack Station? Oh, me and my family bought it 15 years ago. Okay. And um, been running it ever since. It's been a great, great experience. And before that, um, I just packed in in this area recreationally by myself and ran ran across this pack station that was for sale. And here we are. Here we are, 15 (laughs) years later. And what is uh, your guys' role? Why don't we start with you, Savannah? What is your role here? 
I am a packer, so I'm responsible for people when they bring in their gear. I sort it. I turn it into loads that we can then load on the mules. And then I take those mules and I string them. We go anywhere from like 5 to 28 miles into the backcountry. And so I'll string them and either drop them at their location or stay back there and watch the animals cook set up camp, take care of camp, stuff like that. So Be it's awesome. A, yeah, it's just a overall awesome role. <laughs> Got to do everything. Jack Backcountry of all, awesome woman. <laughs> Jack of all trades. And, and how about you, Mari? Similar? Yeah, same thing. Um, go out on a lot of trips and point people to the fishing spots, cook them some campfire meals, take care of the animals, and make sure they are comfortable up on their horse the whole day. Mm-hmm. We originally met at the Pleasanton Show as well. Yeah. And you're like, you need to get out here and <laughs> catch your golden trout. Heck yeah. We're going to take a short commercial break to hear from Tim O'Neill of Norvice. What makes the Norvice different than another system? There are a lot of rotary fly tying vices out there. The Norvice is the only vice that will truly spin when you tie flies, and there's a big difference between rotating a vice slowly Slowly and spinning it at a bit of a faster RPM and being able to spin the hook on a zero axis rotations opens up a lot of doors for us in the world of fly tying. Tell me about the introduction of colors to the Norvi system. When we obtained the company from Norm, he said to me just a very, very short statement. He said, you know, I always thought a colored Norvice would be a cool item. We brought out five colors, radical red, sunset orange, shamrock green, liberty blue, and royal purple. We have five colors along with the black that you're accustomed to seeing with Norvice, and we've been doing very well with those. To find more information in their online store, visit nor-vice.com. You mentioned that you go about 20 miles. That's kind of the extent of your range. Uh, We can go farther for sure. Um, I would say in a day we can travel about 12, but we'll go as far as anybody wants to go. Steve's really good about, you know, working with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, would you say? Yeah, no, you did a long one the other day in the Rattlesnake. Yeah, It was almost 25 miles. I went 28 total that day. That was a long day. Wow. (laughs) But we went about 24 miles, maybe, out to the Golden Trout Creek. Mm-hmm. Volcano Creek. Yeah, we made a base camp at the Kern Lake area. Uh, that was 20. We went 20 miles in one day. Base camp there. And then me and you rode up a couple of days later up to Little Whitney Meadow and fished Golden Trout Creek for those Golden Trout. That Got my first. Took you 20 years to get. Took me 20 years and five minutes. And five minutes. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's an inside joke. That's an inside joke because it only took me about five minutes once I got to Golden Trout Creek to catch my first one. But. Yeah, those guys are hungry. As, so, as soon as he was set up on his fly rod, it took literally five minutes for him to catch a fish yeah, a i think it was second cast second cast yeah and it, they're like from people back east they're like beautiful little golden brook trout they're similar size similar if you're fishing like the um, mountain stream up in new hampshire vermont or maine and you have those little pocket water we were fishing a field almost like a spring creek type field yeah but not too wide uh, anywhere from two to six or seven feet maybe yes. at the most and uh, be- you just drop your fly in there, and those beautiful little golden trout come up and take it. And So and vibrant. They're vibrant. And there's tons of them up there, and they're growing, and you can see the little babies. And so there's a good uh, ecology up there. So I'm glad to see that they're doing well. And that we were right up in the headwaters of Mount Whitney. And we know that that's where the golden trout come from. I mean, the golden trout creek, volcano creek, that's the heart of the native true golden trout, pure a pure strain of golden trout. Mm-hmm. They actually stocked other golden trouts from Golden Trout Creek. They carried it over the over to the east side in little tin cans. Thirteen. They took thirteen fish, right? Yeah, yeah. They um, they took them out of Volcano Creek and 
Golden Trout Creek, went over to Cottonwood Lakes and planted them there. And then from there, that's where they used the broodstock to replant over 300 lakes and streams in the Sierras with Golden Trout. But the originals are from Golden Trout Creek. Yeah, and the ones we weren't catching weren't very big, anywhere from like three to six or seven inches, but absolutely stunningly beautiful. Small yeah. creek, small fish, but they are so beautiful. Yeah, you caught a nice one. I did. Uh, that last one you caught was almost eight inches, and it was the perfect example of a golden trout. Yeah, it was a dream come true. Yeah. I mean, if you're going for golden trout up in that really pure area up in the gold, you're not looking for like a size type of fish. I mean, no. What I mean That's by, not the feel of what you're looking for. Yeah, what I mean by perfect example, some of those fish you were catching earlier, you know, would be a little lighter colored or a little darker colored. And then that last one you caught had everything, all the aspects, the white fins, the orange belly, all Big the par marks. marks were perfect. Yeah. You know, the green on them. It was just the most beautiful fish I'd seen. Well, for me, like this experience has kind of brought out this concept of hunting and chasing or having a passion for a specific fish Mm -hmm. that you want to a new species especially a species as beautiful as the golden trout so i know like jeff courier he has like 420 species on a fly i have to see if he has a a golden trout we'll have to check him on that one i'm sure he does that's a lot of species i mean i probably have less than 50 something like that but i got four Kern River Rainbow, uh, Little Golden, Kern Golden, Trout. Oh, wait, maybe five. Yeah. (laughs) Brown. I'm closing in on him. (laughs) Well, this is this whole concept of if you wanted to catch a golden trout and have a passion for a new species, Mm -hmm. um, this is obviously the best place in the world to do it. The Golden Trout Wilderness. The name definitely attracted me. Uh, I have to admit, Steve, the Golden Trout Wilderness, that name attracted me to this experience. Yeah, you know, the name does a lot for us, too. Everybody, um, there's a lot of people out there in the fly fishing world that the Golden Trout is on their bucket list. And just having the wilderness designated with that name really keys a lot of people in to wanting to come here. That's what they're looking for. That's right. And you know what? What surprised me is... The other side of it is the mm-hmm. Kern River mm-hmm. and the Kern River rainbows because they're huge. And I knew it was part of the whole experience where you're going to have a shot at some bigger fish. You had mentioned you're going to have a shot at some bigger fish. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to fish mountain creeks. We're going to fish for goldens. We're going to fish for some smaller mountain creek rainbows. And then you may have a shot at a bigger fish. Well, I didn't know like a shot at a bigger fish was the average was like 17 plus. You know, and these we've caught 20 inch rainbows here and the bulk of the Kern River rainbows, which is near the base camp in the Kern River, mm-hmm. which is I want people on the podcast to understand the other side of this experience is the Kern River rainbow are right there at base camp. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You've got to work if you've got to be on a horse for a good amount of hours, a good amount of miles to get to that base camp. But if, if you're a, a horse lover and you're willing to take a full day to get into a base camp like that by horse, you're sitting on some of the most pristine, beautiful, dry fly mecca, world-class fishery in the world. I mean, the Kern River is amazing and it just goes for miles. And outside of a few backpackers, you've got this whole place for yourself. Exactly. Yeah, we really do. There, there's, um, you know, beginning of the season, there is a few backpackers that, that will run across um, it seems to die off a little bit in the middle of the summer. And then it's just mainly us and our customers. So, you know, that's one of the unique things, and our customers love it. 
that they're the only ones back there. They get this whole section of river all to themselves for that week that we run them back there. Mm Mm-hmm. I've seen people go from dinner and catch a 24-inch trout right there on the sandbar. 20 foot from camp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we kind of did that. You yeah. were walking. You'd set your dinner plate down and walk out, pick up your rod, yeah. and go catch a 15-inch trout. Right. Yeah, we'd hear you whooping and hollering. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm kind of another one. Yeah. It was While a, we were washing dishes, we could hear you whooping and hollering. <laughs> you said dinner. You said the pool was open after dinner, so... Um, probably the best experience was when I was out there, actually, Mara, you were fishing on the top of the pool and I think you mm-hmm. had come out to Savannah and then we come down and I was fishing the bottom of the pool and I hooked into this really big rainbow and you guys came over and you had the video cameras <laughs> out and we netted the fish and we were making a bunch of noise and then it just got so dark. We said, all right, let's just get back to camp. And, uh, I walked in and you guys handed me a plate and it was like beautiful, Flat iron steak. Oh yeah, the the pineapple upside down cake, and there was a flat iron steak one night, Mm -hmm. and and the food is is obviously really good too. So I think what I want our listeners to understand is this whole horse packing situation. If you like backpacking, because I know a lot of fly fishers love to go backpacking, and so this whole horse packing thing, it's kind of the same trail system almost. Mm -hmm. You're using the same trail system in the wilderness as maybe the backpackers would. Yet you can bring obviously a lot more stuff. You can have a tent. You guys have the whole setup. Yeah, you don't have to be eating mountain houses the whole time unless yeah. you want to. Because Steve will just if you're even if you are a backpacker, but maybe you don't want to carry a sixty pound pack on your back, we'll just right. pack your backpack back in there. Yep. What inspired you, Steve, to come out and have a, a horseback station? I mean, what is your background before you were a horsebacker? Um, a little bit of cattle, a little bit of farming operations, a couple different business ventures, but. This was always my what I did for fun. Me and my family did for fun before we owned the pack station. We would come up and go fishing. We'd pack our own animals and we'd go into the back country and go fishing or deer hunting. And then and we always drove by this pack station. And one day I stopped in here to talk to the last owner, the previous owner, and um, he told me it was for sale. And every time I used to drive by, I just would I would think to myself, that has got to be the life living up here for six months out of the year getting to go in and out of the wilderness ride my horse i fish weekly (laughs) that's the big part of my passion too is i love to fish yeah so you know we we get to ride in the back country i get to spend a week fishing and then come back out but that was kind of my deal just it was always a dream driving by and the one time i stopped and talked to the previous owner he told me it was for sale i just couldn't believe it you know it was like a dream come true took us about two or three months to finalize the deal and it was here i am 15 years later now who are your customers obviously you get the fly fishermen mm-hmm. what is the passion for the fly fishermen to go in by horse pack you know part of it is they really love the upper current river the other part is they get to have a little bit more of the amenities or the comforts using horses because we can pack ice chests they pack you know steaks milk they regular food they have a camp chair, stuff like that. Some of the stuff you really can't do when you're just backpacking. So I think that's part of their, their drive to use us as a service is they can get more stuff back there at a reasonable price, you know, and not break their back trying to get 20 miles into the backcountry where the fishing's really good. So It yeah. also gives access to a whole 
crowd of people that otherwise might not make it back. We take in older guys. We take in families with kids that are younger that the dad wants to fish, but he doesn't want to have a terrible trip with his 10 year old, you know, that's not ready to hike 18 miles. So it's, sir, we service like a a broad group of people that otherwise I don't think would have access. That's a good way to put it. We do. We do take a lot of, you know, families in with children. The kids can't do that. You know, they can't walk that far. And then the other part of our deal is uh, a lot of retired guys. You know, 65, you know, in their 60s, um, getting up there. So they need a, a ride in on a horse, gets them in there because they can't. The knees either. just aren't what they used to be. No, nope, <laughs> knees aren't what they used to be. How long have you been part of the Golden Wilderness Pack Station? This will be the start of my third season. Uh, yeah. Third season? Mm-hmm. And you, Mark? Um, I have did one season, then I've come back and helped out in the past two summers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what is your draw to the Golden Trail Wilderness, Mari? Well, I love horses. I love the backcountry and recently started to love fishing too. Yeah. So it's kind of the perfect combo. It's really fun to be here with the team and live at the station and then do little trips, come back. Yeah. Oh man. We are like a little family up here. Yeah. For six months out of the year. It's just kind of being fun. in the mountains and not in the thick of things like yeah. down in California. You, you've just... nothing to worry about. You forget about everything else. You oh just... yeah. It's a different life. It's great. Don't get us started. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Uh, you guys had a lot of fun up there, and you guys were very uh, accommodating too. I mean, took care of us breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whatever mm-hmm. we needed. Uh, got a little spoiled up there, I think. Isn't it nice? <laughs> I felt a little guilty. <laughs> you should. You should, because we're having just as good a party as you. We love taking yeah. care of people. You know, we we like to eat too, and then you- we like to go have fun. You know, you don't lose weight on these trips. No, it's like, you know, (laughs) we get up, we're happy to, you know, make breakfast and take care of you. And then you guys want to go fishing. Well, we get to go fishing too. Yeah. (laughs) So don't feel guilty because we almost feel guilty that we get paid to do this. No, it's, it's, it's so cool. And the Kern river is a special place. Now, if we wanted to set somebody up for like rods and reels and gear, a Savannah, what would you recommend for somebody who wanted to have both the experience of the Kern river and also some of the high country golden trout stuff. I would say um, for the Kern River, maybe like a five or six weight is a good idea because those fish can be pretty big. Mm-hmm. Maybe a two or three weight for Golden Trout Creek. Yeah. Um, plenty of flies. What I mean, what all did you, you caught yeah. it on a whole scheme of things. Yeah, so I think you hit the nail on the head of what we brought. We brought a five and a six for the Kern. Uh, we are, we're using Douglas, as you know, we're traveling around in the mm-hmm. Douglas vehicle and they set us up with a group of rods. They set, up with, uh, set us up with six we end up using four for the backpack portion of, of the trip. Mm-hmm. And we used a five and a six for the Kern. And then Steve and I took a two and a three, a four piece and a six piece that broke down really nice. And we brought them up by horseback. We fished a two and a three in the Douglas upstream series and we had a blast. Yeah, how to really, those lightweight rods with those little fish make, make those little fish a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And those Douglas rods. They work, I, man. They work, they're pretty good. That three weight. Yeah. Cast really nice. Really I mean, nice. you can placement wise with your flies yeah perfect it was amazing i couldn't believe it i haven't had that good a luck with a lightweight rod mm. i don't even know that much about rods i've been fishing for maybe four years but i have a low-end rod and then i went and used yours and i was like oh my gosh this is like butter i yeah. don't even feel like i'm throwing anything <laughs> i felt the same way using all, all these different uh, rods that they make and it, it, it's really nice it made me feel like i was a better fisher it, than, yeah, than yeah, i totally. actually am it does false confidence <laughs> she's really good uh as far as flies savannah we uh i just followed steve's advice he sent me a little list that we called on the phone i typed on my notes on my phone and i stopped at the fly shop 
the stimulators in mm-hmm. big too and you said in six and eights and i couldn't believe that you were telling me six and eights you thought i was crazy i thought you were nuts and i'll tell you <laughs> what the sixes work better than the eights yeah in the they're they're big flies the stimulators in orange and red yellow yellow they do hoppers were huge this week um not that we don't have a lot of good dry fly action mayflies it all it all has its time and place on the Kern River. But, you know, there's a lot of times those big fish want something big to eat. They need that. You know, they're not looking for a They're not going to waste their energy on a little fly. Got a couple on beetles too, didn't mm-hmm. you? Yeah, beetles, ant patterns. The terrestrials work I really mean, well. The diversity of flies you can use on the Kern River is amazing. Mostly you just have to, you know, present it to the trout right. They don't really care what it is. They're so opportunistic in that area. You know, I, I don't know why. It's, maybe it's because they're so far in the backcountry, so high in elevation, bigger. You know, they, they're trying to get everything they can so they can make it through the winter. I've always been really amazed that it's not like a creek in some other states where those fish are tuned into what's hatching at that point. These things will just take whatever you put in front of them. 4X, we found that the 4X worked best as yeah. far as your line. Your oh, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of went on and on about the flies. But, yeah, you need a 4X tippet. These fish, they fight hard. Well, I, You tied on a 5X for me, and I broke off a yep. lot of times so this I. week. Yeah, the 5Xs mm-hmm. were breaking. And a 12-inch fish will do it. They fight so hard. These yep. things go airborne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's very clear. So it's it's kind of a different, a different aspect of dry fly fishing a lot of times, maybe even back east where the – water is a little bit more tinted or stained we're here the water is so clear that you do see them rise and you'll kind of they'll kind of identify themselves where they rise and now you are still hitting that target but you can see the fish coming from the bottom because the water is so clear that it's like three or four or five or six feet deep even and you cast it and you leave it a little above where that target is and then you watch the fly come, and it's coming, it's coming, it's oh, coming. Yeah. And then you see the fish come up, and you just see them slurp it. You set your hook, and then you have that whole fight. You get me excited just talking about <laughs> it. Yeah. Let's go back. Know, Let's go back. <laughs> Going back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, remember when we tied that hopper pattern on? It was me, you, and um, Morgan. Morgan. Yeah, she's one of our other packers. I tied the hopper pattern on, tossed it out there in front of a 14-incher or something. And he came way out of his way. He came six feet out of his way mm-hmm. to come get that fly. Yep. And that's the other time. Sometimes they'll come out of their way, but sometimes they won't. So if you're like a foot too close to the bank, too close to you, and you see that fly go by, you just see that trout just not move. Mm-hmm. You put it too far past them, mm-hmm. and they're not. sometimes they don't go to the right. Mm-hmm. But if you put it right down his lane, and you can see him coming, and then you, know, then you start getting taunted because they'll come all oh, the way yeah. to the top. They'll look at it, and then they'll go back down. Yeah, you can see it all. It does it's go like, both ways. You're right. Yeah. They, some of them will not waver out of, their, out of their zone, and then some of them just, They'll just go side just to side. Blow it. Yeah. yeah. But it's really neat because you can like, test your skills. Mm-hmm. Because what will happen is if you put that, say, number six stimulator across them, because it's been working so well, you know it's, oh, I'm going to put the stimulator, and he's just going to attack it. And you put it right over his nose, and he'll look at it, and he won't even move. He'll just stay right where he is. But then you say, all right, let me try a smaller fly. Then you'll go to like a paranymph or a parachute atom, something smaller, and he wanted that one. So he'll go up and get it. Or you maybe try, you're on a 3X, you might go to a 4X. You might, if you're 4X, you might go to a 5X tippet. So it's kind of interesting because you can get that feedback because it's mm-hmm. all visual. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it really is. It's fun to, to, to sight them. 
out there in the water and and watch what they're you know going to deny or accept yeah it's coming by them you're right you just could change it up something didn't work on that one change it up find out what does work it's fun to even just watch them i feel like that's creepy to say but i'll just sit there and watch them for like 10 minutes watch what they're doing yeah, because you can—it's like creepy. seeing an inside look at their yeah. life and their behaviors, and you're just yeah. studying them. Yeah, yeah, studying I guess. their behavior. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love studying fishes, watching them. We put the GoPro underwater up in the Golden Trout Creek. Mm. Curious to see how that how that looks because those oh, golden yeah. trout, you know, they'll be like eight or ten or twelve in one little pool, mm-hmm. and like I'll get like an inch, and I'll put my foot in the water and put my camera, and all of a sudden, they're just all gone. Mm-hmm. It's like, where did they all go? <laughs> Upstream or downstream? They're all gone. And there's so many of those pools up there that they'll just find another one. Mm-hmm. That Golden Trout Creek came all the way down from the meadows and went all the way back down to the Kern River as mm-hmm. a tributary. Remember Volcano Falls yeah. as we were riding up there? Mm-hmm. I remember it, and I just kept looking down at the Golden Trout Creek from my horse as we were heading back. You know, because you have a turn, you have a turn time there. You can go up, you've got so many, you know, a couple hours, a couple and a half hours up, and then you have a turn time when you have to come back. So you can't fish everything. I mean, you, you love to just fish the whole waterway, but you can't fish it all. So I was like looking down there thinking, there's golden trout in those pools. I have to go back. Well, we should have set that up a little bit different. If we had had an extra day, yeah, we could have took, you know, a light from our base camp. We could have took a small camp up there and spent the night and spent a lot more hours up there yeah that would have been a lot of fun just a word from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back to the show are you a guide a lodge a fly shop or a business in the fly fishing industry give art hofford of bissell insurance agency a call art has industry specific insurance packages and he has specific liability packages for fly fishing guides, outfitters, and businesses in the outdoor industry. Once again, call Art Hoffert, and you can find his information at BissellInsuranceAgency.com. Well, see, this is the point I'm trying to get to, Steve, is like, with someone like yourself, who's a packer, right here, the Lewis Trail... Lewis Camp Trailhead. Lewis Camp Trailhead. You have access to all these different trails, all these different waters... If somebody wanted to put a package together, a trip together, is it all? Is it all a card? Is it how do? You, you oh yeah, you know, you're right. Out of the Lewis Camp Trailhead, we have a little over three hundred four thousand acres of backcountry that we can utilize. Everything's pretty much customized. We tell people that we ask people when they call up to book a trip, you know, what they're looking for, what kind of fishing they're looking for, or camping trip they're looking for. Um, could be photography, could be wildlife. You know, hunting even I hunting think yeah we do a lot of hunting trips in fall and depending on what they want to do is where we could place them on the Kern river or some of the high country lakes like coyote lakes or maggie lakes or mm-hmm. you know some of the little Kern river drainage where there's really amazing fishing on the little Kern river and a lot of its tributaries like rifle creek and tamarack creek there's just it's so an much- endless I think- supply of stuff we could do for people one point to make to interrupt you just mm-hmm. briefly is you don't have to be an experienced horseman to do this. Mm-hmm. Definitely don't let that oh, uh, yeah. shy you away from something like that if it's what you want to do because basically um, you just have to be able to take instruction. Our horses are, you know, kind of self-driving. Sta- yeah. <laughs> well, basically as a pack station nowadays, that is our job. Yeah, it's not, we are here to um, accommodate people that don't know how to ride horses. And, and I'll get 99% of my customers will call up and say, hey, I haven't ridden a horse in 20 years or I've never ridden a horse. And that's our job to get 
you from point A to point B safely on safe animals that we have, you know? Yeah, we make it easy for anyone, comfortable for them, mm -hmm. doable. So, Mari, how did you get into being a wrangler? I mean, <clears throat> you're so proficient out there with all the different aspects of saddling a horse, packing a horse, you know, managing a group of people. Uh, with a pole of horse, uh, string a, string, a, a string, a string of mules. <laughs> Get your terminology right. This yeah. is a, this is a, that you asked a very interesting question. She's got a good story. I want to hear this. Well, in my senior year of high school, I was told to do an apprenticeship, and so um, a friend and I thought it'd be cool to learn to mule pack. Called up Steve. No one else would answer. Their phones were just ringing. You know, it was, it was winter. During the winter. Yeah, and Steve said he would take us around, show us how to pack. And just kind of threw us into it, and we were like, "Well, this is pretty cool." And then called us in May and was like, "You guys want to come out this summer?" And a month later, I graduated and came out here. And then that yeah, was high school. Yep, right after I graduated, a couple of weeks, then came out here and stayed here till November. About wow. Yeah, we you know we it was snowed in up here at the time when they called, and so just down on one of our grazing ranches, where the the horses and some of the cattle stay, that's where showed her, us the her, her friend learned it all and yeah it was you know by the end of that apprentice week that they did with me they were like you <laughs> might need somebody up here this year <laughs> and yeah. i was like yeah and so you know as it got closer to to may and june when they got out of high school yeah it was everyone's first season though and there was three of us girls which is i think a little different but ever since then it's kind of been different crews it really yeah, it really works, though. That was the first year, 2018, that I met Savannah, I met Mari, I met Madeline. And there's been a few different crew members in that, but this this little our little base crew right here has been a really good team, and it's lasted for quite a few years now. Yeah, and, and Mari was excellent. You know, even I, I got to pull my own string on the way in yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I got to pull a string of mule. Took us home. Yep. and uh, I didn't you, mind it. <laughs> yes. Gave her a break. I, yeah. <laughs> But and it was it was a lot harder than not harder, but it's a bit of work. There's to a little make, nuance yeah. to it, yeah. And you don't want to make you want to make sure your first mule doesn't come up on your horse. And mm -hmm. the biggest challenge that I found, Steve, was getting them at the same pace, getting your horse to be at the same pace to be in front of your mules enough. Because my horse was mare; she would power uphill. She yeah, loved that's the, the work on it. Yeah. She loved to power uphill, and so once she saw that hill coming, she'd start to get her engine on. She'd go, 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 and then Red, who was my first move behind me, she liked to be a little bit slower <laughs> on the uphill. But once you get on the flat or the downhill, Red was moving good, and Mayor likes to kind of sit back and get a, get a little tr slow trot so they get too close to slow. each other. And then Mayor would like kind of turn around and kind of... The old gray mare. Yeah, gray mare. She'd turn around and keep an eye on Red. Hey, get back there. I don't want you like right on me. So if you're a wrangler and you're pulling a string, I thought that was the, the most challenging part of the nuance is keeping them kind of at the right pace with you each You know, other. that is. That is really challenging because not only are you sitting on a horse that you're having to control, you're also watching five other animals behind you all tied together all with 150 pounds of gear on them and you're having to control all these animals yeah those mules are amazing though and i know they this is are. a fishing podcast so i'm kind of trying to tamp down <laughs> my excitement for it but the fact is you can put a load on those mules they'll bump one tree on the left side one tree on the right side and then figure out exactly how wide they are and they won't hit another tree for another eight hours yeah. like, wow they're so such good workers. Yeah, Hearts of gold. They're, they're intelligent. You can really set the tone from the front on your horse. You know, if you're calm, they'll all pick up on it. Or if you're 
mm-hmm. trying to deal with all your ropes, you know, they'll get excited, but they're, they pick up on everything. That's so true. And I tried to be as calm as possible with the, well, I wasn't going through like the brush and the bushwhacking and the, the uh, switchbacks, like you guys had to pull your string through, but I only had three. I pulled mm-hmm. the string of three and it was mostly straights, some trees I had to work around. Uh, but you guys set me up at an, a good kind of beginner level. Uh, first wrangler angler if you will <laughs> uh but that yeah it was fun it was a lot of fun and uh it's definitely something i can appreciate what you guys do you mm-hmm. know from packing the horses to pulling them out there to work in the kitchen and getting customers squared away and all the different aspects of being in the backcountry uh it's it was a fun fun experience so before we uh, get into our close here steve why don't we talk a little bit i'm not sure we gave the exact picture for people uh, where you are in the world. Uh, we're in California. We're on the western side of the Sierra Nevadas at the base of the Sequoia National Forest. And so how do you kind of work within that scope as far as the forest? And then you have the Sequoia National Park just above you. Yeah, we're on the west side of the Sierras. We are out of a town called Porterville in between Fresno and Bakersfield. If you're familiar with California, we're about an hour and a half east up the Sierras. If somebody wanted to stay connected with you guys... Uh, and find out more how they can participate in an adventure like this. Uh, Savannah, what is the best way to have people connect with you guys? We have a website, goldentroutpacktrains.com. It's got a lot of good information. It goes over trips we offer, rates, a lot of pictures, although we're trying to get more up there. Um, And then also you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at goldentroutpacktrains. Sounds good, guys. It's been an amazing experience. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your busy day. I know you're packing in kayakers today, and you get a lot going on here at the back station. So thanks for taking a few minutes and, and sharing all the good stuff with our listeners about the, the golden trout wilderness. Thanks for coming up. We really enjoyed our week with you, Rob. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Fly Fishing Journeys with your host, Rob Giannino. To be notified of new episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. For past episodes, check out flyfishingjourneys.com. Fly fishing is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us.